This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Wrestling With Jonas. This is episode 115 and uh, today is a, a bit of a special episode for us. Usually about this time you'll be hearing me and a guest talking about the, the action on the weekly AEW Dynamite or NXT. We've decided that to, because wrestling is in a bit of a strange situation at the moment with, with the world kind of uh, experiencing the coronavirus and uh, everything that kind of goes along with it, that we'll switch things up. And of course we're on the road to WrestleMania, we're just a week away from WrestleMania weekend and that has of course been affected by COVID-19 and of course WrestleMania has been split into two days whether it be from the Performance Centre or Full Sail or various locations who knows we'll have to watch on the 4th and 5th of April to find out what's going on but uh, we thought because we're all getting excited about WrestleMania that we'll review a retro WrestleMania so I kind of threw it out there to uh, the Facebook followers on the Wrestling With Jonas Facebook community group and uh, my two guests got involved in that as well. And we had a poll. We had a poll between WrestleMania 8, WrestleMania 18 and WrestleMania 28. And uh, WrestleMania 8 from 1992 won the poll. Uh, so I want to introduce my guests. So we've got uh, Chris and we've got Nick from the Broken But Glorious Wrestling Podcast on Skype. So Chris and Nick, uh, good evening. How are you both? And thank you for coming on the Wrestling With Jonas podcast. Yeah, yeah very thank well. you for having us. I'm very well, thank you. Oh, it's fantastic to have you both on and um, just I, I want to allow you kind of a, an opportunity to talk about your podcast, about the, the various features you do, what you cover, how often you, you drop your episodes. But first of all, um, we have uh, Mags from Badlands podcast uh, on the on the podcast fairly often. We've had him about three or four times now. Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've, had him, I've had him on. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. But, but Mags has, has kind of described uh, Broken But Glorious Wrestling Podcast as the, the, the pioneers of the British wrestling podcast landscape. So it's very, ha- very nice about us. How does that, how, that's a hell of a compliment coming from, from Mags. And Mags is an excellent uh, content creator, an excellent podcaster. But coming from Mags, uh, a, a great compliment. Uh, pioneers, gentlemen. Uh, tell us about Broken But Glorious and uh, what my listeners uh, can, can experience if they decide to uh, tune in to your brilliant podcast and all your content. Uh, so we started in uh, 2017, wasn't it? Yeah, 2017. Yeah, it was around the Great Balls of Fire. Oh, we, we, um, we started a, we the started football, Great Balls of Fire, yes. We actually started as a football podcast. 2013. Yeah. And, yeah, and about yeah 2017 after... I just did the general election. Nick was itching to do a wrestling podcast, and I said, well, we'll just do it. And got Great Balls of Fire coming up, we'll just review that. I don't know where Broken But Glorious was just, it was kind of Matt Hardy and Bobby Roode were kind of yeah. huge at the time. <laughs> it's it's a great uh, great name for a podcast. It really stands out. And uh, like I say, your logo is a very colourful kind of lucha mask. But Broken But Glorious, it kind of, you know, everybody can relate to to, to, to that, especially if they're wrestling fans, being a Matt Hardy fan or, or a Bobby Roode. Um, but uh, yeah, tell us about the, the type yeah, of content that you, that you drop every, every week. And because uh, you do multiple shows, you cover multiple topics. Tell us a bit more. Well, the main, the main 
um, show we release. We record it on a Tuesday. It comes out late Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Um, we tend to start with the general news of the week. Then we'll do, we have a bit of a quiz. And then we have a main topic, which is either a review of a pay-per-view, maybe a preview. Um, or just whatever the big news is that week. We'll just discuss like a, a, a 20-minute debate on whatever that is. And then we have a, another quiz, the final of the quiz. And then usually finish it with a debate. Well, there we go. Like a, Quizzes and debates. Maybe a, a, a quiz and debates. But yeah, the last bit is it's a bit more formal where we usually have like a minute to put your arguments across. And then sometimes we put it to Twitter and they vote on who won. And yeah, it's just, it, we, it started off as we were just, a, we just reviewed pay-per-views, but as it's gone on, we've added bits onto it and then... Do you do, October do, do last year. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, do you do live content? Do you do any any live podcasts at all? Because that seems no. to be quite popular at the moment. No, I don't think I'm confident enough to do a live podcast at the moment. Um, yeah. We're looking into the rest of the podcast. Something yeah. that we want to dabble with in the future. You know, you see like a Foul Original and uh, Smart to Death, and uh, so many others do live podcasts. The Solar Monster, of course, he's my favourite. But uh, yeah, something that uh, might be just to shake things up in the future. But uh, what what um, what can my listeners look forward to from the Broken but Glorious Wrestling Podcast um, in the coming weeks? I know that you're, you're always busy. You're doing multiple interviews. There's lots of indie wrestlers out there that are kind of free at the moment, twiddling their thumbs. There say wanting to be kind of uh, you know spoken to by podcasters a bit of extra exposure for them but uh, what can my listeners kind of look forward to from your podcast over the next week or so all right so next week we're meant to do it this week we've got we're doing a, a playlist of wrestlemania matches to get you through to help you survive the corona lock it lockdown yeah. um, so we'll do that next tuesday the following tuesday we'll have the wrestlemania review and then the one after that we're going to do our perfect wrestlemania card so you can pick any WrestleMania match, but it has to be a whatever the best WWE matches, and then we'll have. But you know, you have a match from one, each one WrestleMania, and the guy can't appear more than once on the paper on the pay per view. So that's gonna. It's easy. It's 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 a good concept in my head, but whether I can say it out loud, the moment, that's my idea at the moment. It's gonna be the perfect WrestleMania card. Yeah. Um, I think the, the thing with these is just just to have fun and conversation, really, isn't it? it just kind of yeah. it, it it kind of starts with a, a you know a, a small idea, then it kind of basically these conversations snowball into you know weird and wonderful kind of um, directions. But as long as you're talking about wrestling, that's what that's what people want to hear, isn't it? Really? Yeah, we've got yeah plenty of interviews coming up the next week. Last last couple of weeks I've had Dan, Daredevil, Dave Dahl on. He was part of that. Do you, are you, Part of the Retro Mania game coming out. And they had that right. Retro Mania tournament where an indie wrestler could get onto the game, which was won by Warhorse. He was part of that, so I had him on the other week. Uh, Kyle Kingsley, British, British wrestling star from last week. Um, Freddie Brack has returned. It's his second interview. We interviewed him yesterday. He came on and released that this morning. Got Royce Isaacs later this evening. That'll be out next week. Uh, Richard Holiday on Monday, and then Jason from the Full of Wrestling events is coming on to explain, because that's recently been cancelled, so he's come on to talk about the future plans, when it's going to be reorganised. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it's got a lot, 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 yeah, loads of people. Lots contacted. to look forward to. 
lots yes. to look forward to. But so, to yeah, sometimes just yeah. lots. Let's um, kind of focus on WrestleMania 8 then. So I was speaking to you both a little bit off air. Now, Chris, um, you you kind of were growing up around the the, the, the 80s and the 90s, and you remember watching WrestleMania 8 when you were younger. Um, yes. But uh, but but Nick, now we really, we found out off air that watching WrestleMania 8 this week was your first uh, experience of WrestleMania 8. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you're spot on. Um, first first time watching WrestleMania 8 this week. Um, as I say, I, um, not to give away too much of my age, but I saw a first time watching wrestling, sort of 2001, 2002 time when you're sort of a little boy and yeah. um, you're allowed to sort of watch your pay-per-views for the first time. So we're talking WrestleMania 7, uh, WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania 18 sort of time yeah. um, where I broke on the scene, so to speak. So, no, it's, it's always good, though, going back and watching, obviously, a lot of classic pay-per-views when ones when I hear sort of from mates from, from all over and they say, oh, you, you need to go back and watch this on the network. So when, when, when yourself and Chris told me to go and well, sort of said this was the one we're going to be reviewing. It was it was really interesting to um, to go back and watch it. Uh, as I say um, some very good matches that I'm really excited to talk about. When we sort of get into it. So um, no, it's just um, say a very a very good WrestleMania and um, as I say certainly one that is sort of hard to compare it with ones that I sort of see now. When you sort of look at your more modern day really great WrestleManias like your WrestleMania 30, more so because I think the fact now that obviously I wasn't invested in storylines building up to WrestleMania 8, it's hard to have that sort of emotional connection if that makes sense with a with a kind of match, as opposed to when you're watching it, sort of you're more watching it just to sort of see the classic matches if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Chris, yourself, uh, like I say, you, you do remember watching it back in the day, back in 1992. Did watching it back this week kind of bring back kind of warm, fuzzy memories for you? Oh yeah, we we yeah, in this house, in our house, we watch a lot of it. So my girlfriend also is a huge of the new gen era, era, so we watch a lot of early 90s. But yeah, I love WrestleMania 8. Um, yeah. It's 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 a it's a it's a weird one because it's not quite like rock and roll the rock and wrestling era, and it's not quite new gen. It's kind of it's kind of in the middle, and they're trying to not quite know what they want to do yet because yeah. they they know that Hogan's gonna leave soon. Then they're like, but we've got Ric Flair as a champion, but we've been telling you for years that everybody outside WWE is rubbish. But we've got to keep this guy looking great. <laughs> yeah. What do we do? And then we've got yeah. All these good brand new wrestlers coming through, who with like Bret Hart and you know, Shawn Michaels, who Undertaker. It's like we need to put them over, and then. Which I think right. they do on their show really well. So. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the you know Hall of Famers of nowadays, the legends of nowadays, you know, like the Bret Hart's, the Shawn Michaels, the Undertakers. This is kind of when they were kind of just breaking through as singles wrestlers. Obviously, we're familiar with Shawn Michaels as part of the Rockers, and he had his infamous split with Marty Jannetty, which we'll talk about um, in his match with uh, Tito Santana shortly. But uh, and then you had you know Bret Hart, he'd been a singles uh, wrestler within the WWF for a year or so, and he had that great match at SummerSlam 91 with Mr. Perfect, of course. And that's kind of when he broke onto the scene in the singles ranks. But I suppose you go back the previous five or six years and he was more famous as being one half of the Hart Foundation that's with it. Jim Neidhart. even at WrestleMania 7, he was in the tag team match, wasn't it? So, Absolutely, so yeah. Um, can't remember who they were up against. But um, yeah, you know, you're spot on. And then, of course, this is The Undertaker's uh, only second WrestleMania. I think he'd only been with the company a year and a half. Uh, but we we'll talk more about kind of where The Undertaker's Taker was at this point in his career 1992 when we get to his match but um let's say 
each match was was really really kind of unique in in its own way but um looks like i think looking back on it there, there's lots of things that still fill me with you know warm fuzzy memories and yes, kind of definitely. excellent excellent matches but there's also some things that kind of make you want to scratch your head and wonder why they made that decision and why they took that decision but uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that as the episode goes but um um th- i think the the most iconic thing is as we kind of started wrestlemania 8 was the introduction to the show by Vince McMahon and his, his really big voice. And he's done this on many pay-per-views, especially when he introduces all the wrestlers for Royal Rumbles. And he did the mm-hmm. same here for, you know, for the double main event, WrestleMania. I'd love to do my Vince McMahon voice, but my throat hasn't quite been what it, what it used to be. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> big kind of roar in WrestleMania and you know that you're kind of onto something special. Then there's like the opening uh, kind of uh, a view from the camera of the, the Hoosier Dome. There was 67,167 people in the Hoosier Dome, or at least that's the figure that the WWF gave us at the time. It was on April the 5th, 1992. So straight away, we had Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, they were our commentary team. And, uh, you know, before we get into the matches, guys, just got to talk about their chemistry. I mean, you know, whenever they were together on the commentary team, it was always evident. And, you know, we had it. The was this the last 92. time they were together on a show? Well, it, it could have been. It could have been, yeah. But um Gorilla Mustang's last WrestleMania, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But um because yeah, I mean if you think back to WrestleMania nine, uh you had Heenan, Macho Man and Jim Ross, didn't you? Yes. So I suppose somewhere between WrestleMania eight and WrestleMania nine, they must have kind of uh that, that partnership or joy must have come to an end. I know that Vince McMahon was a lot more on a lot more of the pay per views. Um, going through 2000, was it, uh, was 1992. Slab 92 was, was that Ruddy Piper and Vince McMahon? No, that was Heenan and Vince McMahon, yeah. Heenan, so yeah. You, you could be right, this possibly was the last big WWF pay-per-view with uh, Gorilla and uh, Bobby. And, and, and let's be honest, it was a uh, hell of a swan song if, it, if this was their last one I think together. This is, yeah, this is definitely one of my favourite Bobby Heenan commentaries. It's just, he's, he's great throughout. It's just his lust and after Lex Luger and that bit and just how he's so for Fleur. And even in the Roddy Piper Brett match, he was just supporting him everyone's been the heelist at the time well yeah wasn't supporting either one of them really but he'll just cheer when one of them does a bit of a heely thing but oh he's brilliant for the whole show but but he's yeah but the comedy us. from bobby heenan in this one was was just off the charts to be honest with you and uh, um definitely my all-time favorite commentary kind of duo and I'll, i know a lot of people go for jim ross and jerry lawler and you know uh and others but um uh yeah, would these two so. kind of be up there for, for you two gents these are mine. These are mine. It's, it's either these, or I also like um, Vince and, and Jesse Ventura from the eighties. But these, they, they, I think, yeah, I think these are t- my two favourites. Ross the King. I, I didn't watch the actual there, so I don't have the nostalgia for them as much as many people do. So, yeah. um, uh, Nick, Nick, have you got a favourite com- uh, commentary duo? Yeah, I think mine will always be um, just the King and the King and Jr. Just simply going back, as I say, to the uh, going back in the day, but growing up, and it's almost like the voices of your childhood in, in a way. Um, but um, also as well, Jerry, I'm a big fan of Jr. and Paul Heyman when Paul Heyman had the year on commentary. I yeah, think good show. I, I really liked. I did really like Heyman on commentary for the year. Then obviously, I keep watching that segment back on YouTube where where Heyman sort of gets uh, fired um, after Survivor Series, and then the King returns and everything. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and again, um, 
it was quite a nice sort of end to the to kind of the polite feud in a way between JR and uh, Heyman for the whole year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, um, yeah, I think he'll always be king. But again, the, the commentary though for this it was absolutely fantastic. And if I was to go back for, before my time for old school, then 100% it would be uh, Heenan and Monsoon for for 100% sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, kind of throughout the opening segment, Bobby Heenan, he was on the lookout for this giant centerfold pullout of Elizabeth that Ric Flair had promised he would uh, display across the Hoosier Dome. I love that kind of storyline and the, the build to this world, world title match. But um, did you gents know that the original main event to WrestleMania 8 wasn't going to be uh, a double main event as we got here? It yes. was going to be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan for the WWF title uh, to see who was the, the, the true real world's champion, you could say. You obviously had the legendary Ric Flair finally coming to the WWF after spending uh, all of his career pretty much the face of the NWA. And then Hogan, uh, you know, he brought the mainstream kind of uh, audience into the wrestling world with the rock and wrestle. And he was the face of the WWF. And many thought that the path was Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan as the main event to this year's Mania. Um, but do you know the reason why? Why that main event was was pulled before kind of uh, uh, going ahead with that one for Mania Eight? He was he's recording Mister Nanny, wasn't he? So he was going to be off telly for a long time. Yeah, I think that was part of the reason. The other reason uh, I was I was informed was that I think they had um, a massive kind of house show run, uh, Hogan and, and Ric Flair on kind of the house show circuit. And although it was kind of billed as this kind of big kind of you know. <laughs> big champions kind of match Hogan flair kind of dream match. Uh, it didn't really uh, resonate with the fans and no. uh, I thought, well, it wasn't resonating with the fans. I don't think it'll resonate. You know, it, it might do well as a, a mania match. It might kind of, you know, uh, be popular as a mania match, but it's not resonating with the fans. So it's not resonating with me. Let's switch things up. Um, I mean, just kind of fancy booking. I know we saw flair versus Hogan in the WCW kind of days back in the mid nineties, but do you think it would have worked uh, back in 92? Do I go first, Nick? Uh, no, you go. No, you go, mate. Oh, I, I think it would be a complete clash of egos. It depends whether who who. Oh. I say I, I I love the Macho Man Flair match so much, so I can't imagine it not being on it. But I think yeah, yeah, well, yeah it must work. It'd be a, a lot of hot dog in the beginning. I can't see it being a classic match, but I, I think it'll be a brilliant. I think, yeah. I think it'll be a very similar build to how the. Hulk Hogan Warrior was, where it's not, it wasn't a classic match, but it's still remembered as this epic moment in time. Yeah, yeah. But whether, it would let, whether Hogan's ego would let Ric Flair win the match, yeah. if, if he knew yeah. he was going off to film this film, would, would, would he submit, or would it have to be like a dodgy finish with um, Ric Flair, with uh, Mr. Perfect getting involved? Yeah, loads of people running in. <laughs> but I, think I, 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 well. I can't say it being a classic. So, yeah. I don't know whether it would be a classic, but I think as well, yeah, if in terms of a main event of WrestleMania as well, I mean, you look at sort of eras as well. I put it. You got those sort of the the Bret the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels the Rock Stone Colds. I think Flair and Hogan's just yet yeah, another one that I think to, as to main event, whether it's a classic or not, sometimes if the matches doesn't live up to the expectations, it's kind of sometimes gets a free pass in a way just simply down to the the rivalry attached to it and just almost the the era sort of rivalry that goes with it. Yeah, no, I think you're spot yeah, on. Throughout, spot throughout on. the whole card, though, if you if you just watched it pay per view, pay per view. They'll build into Macho Man versus Rick, um, Jake the Snake. They'll build an Undertaker Sid yeah. would have been um, 
LOD versus natural disasters. Or didn't. Um, Marty Sean Genetti versus Shawn Michaels. They'll yeah, build, build into all these other matches, and then you get to WrestleMania, and there's none of these matches are on the card. You're like, what's happened? Yeah. So if you yeah. if you if you weren't right, if you weren't regularly watching the TV show, you'd be like, what's happened to all these feuds that have been building for the last six months? It's like, yeah, and when you look at some of the matches that we did have kind of on, on paper, they do seem like quite odd pairings, don't they? And uh, like you say, they obviously did have a, another card planned originally because of all the natural feuds that were building through the back end of uh, 1991 into two, uh, 1992. Um, but uh, yeah. just before we get into kind of the main card, there were a couple of dark matches. I don't know if you were aware, but uh, they, they did have the Bushwhackers versus the Beverly Brothers, and they did also have the British Bulldog versus the Berserker. Now, I remember um, them being kind of promoted and advertised in the build-up to WrestleMania 8, but they didn't actually show on the card. And I was quite disappointed they weren't on the pay-per-view and I was thinking well what happened to the matches but they did actually have the matches as dark matches they did record them and I, ah. I do re- remember seeing them um, on episodes of Superstars a week or so after Wrestlemania as recorded from the Hoosier Dome so um, that ah. might be worth going out and searching them but uh, yes the Beverly Brothers versus the Bushwhackers I'm sure that was an all-time classic and uh, the British Bulldog versus the Berserker which was a match I was looking forward to because of course coming from the UK everybody was a David Boy Smith mad back in the early 90s so I don't know if you knew that gents. I don't know they recorded I knew knew that I thought I thought Bulldog versus Berserker got bumped for time because it's still on the back I've got the original VHS from like 1992 and it's still advertised on the back of the VHS Mm. Bulldog versus Berserker is on the card. Yeah, I distinctly I've remember never, seeing I've never it. Seen it. Yeah, I might, I might have watched it back in the day, but I don't remember. But but let's get stuck into let's get stuck into the main card then, guys. So. Um, the first match was uh, El Matador, Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels with Sherry Martel. And obviously, um, Shawn Michaels was fairly new into his singles run. Um, and uh, Sherry Martel was actually singing his entrance music. Now, we, we obviously know from over the last 20, 30 years that it's Shawn Michaels that's singing his uh, entrance music. But um, for the first year or so, while Sherry was managing Shawn, it was Sherry Martel um, on kind of the vocals to uh, Sexy Boy. But yeah. uh, that was quite interesting and quite uh, nice to listen to that back when we were watching this match. But um, uh, let's say this was Sean. a bit nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so th- this, this was... This was Sean's uh, big WrestleMania singles debut match after turning his back on Marty Jannetty. We mentioned that earlier, putting him through the barbershop window a couple of months earlier. Uh, this match, as One we mentioned... Was, segments. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was going to be originally Sean <laughs> Michaels versus Marty Jannetty, but after what happened at the barbershop, uh, but but Jannetty uh, was fired from the company before WrestleMania after getting into a real-life fight with a police officer or taking a break away from the company to sell the barbershop angle. So I don't know if you knew that, but uh, while, while he was selling what happened to him on the barbershop, right. he actually got fired for getting into a fight with a police officer. So uh, strange occurrences there. And I think Marty Jannetty has always been his, his kind of his own worst enemy, to be honest with with you um but um well, kind in, of what in, the, in the long run it was probably better for him because when he came back Shawn michaels was ic champion wasn't he so he got into an ic feud yeah title feud when he came back so in the long run it probably worked out a lot better for him but yeah, yeah it was, it was weird. 
it was, but um, Tito Santana, uh, he'd been with the company for many, many years before this WrestleMania, but uh, had recently adopted the El Matador character in an attempt to make him, himself a little bit more interesting. And of course, was, this was the era of wild, wacky, over-the-top characters. Unfortunately for Tito, I don't think the character really did uh, much for him. He was still as bland as no. ever, to be honest with you. But uh, give us your thoughts, uh, kind of watching this match back, gents, uh, on kind of what you thought. I, I, I'll pick up on some of the highlights in a minute, but uh, watching this match back, kind of what what was your thoughts and uh, for, i mean for you chris first of all bringing back uh, memories of 28 years ago yeah it brings back a lot uh, yeah that was a great the great um probably hearing us saying when uh reba mcintyre was coming out as well that's his sister and that was quite that made me giggle so i remember giggling on that when i was little but yeah i i, lo- I loved the Elta matador gimmick when i was 10 yeah the, ma- the match itself, you could tell that Shawn Michaels hadn't quite found his character yet. That um, there's a lot, lot there's a lot of headlocks in the match, which for an opener you want it to be a fast pace. Let's get the crowd pumping. But it was, yeah, it was a, it was a bit. And I think there was three or four. It's a ten minutes match, and I think there was four rest spots in the whole thing. Yeah. And the, um, and there was this is the super kick was just a transition move. Back then, the, you had like a Back, a backdrop or a back suplex was his finisher, which is dead weird. But I think, uh, I think it was a great way of putting over this. This is the old era, this is the 80s, and this is who we want to push forward. So you put, you get the an old IC champ, yeah, and the guy you want to push, put them together, and then people. Was it was the finisher botch? Because it didn't, they didn't. Cause they went, I want to see a replay, and they went, no, we're not going to a replay. So I've always thought it yeah. hasn't watched the finish. So well, it, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because, um, I mean, uh, Santana was trying to bring Michaels back into the ring in like a body yeah. slam position, but Michaels held onto the top rope and then he just kind of flat back bumped and, and uh, I suppose Michaels' weight full force onto Santana and the referee counted to three. So I don't know if that was a planned finish. It was certainly a strange ending to the match. But uh, Nick, what was your thoughts on this one? Well, um, first and foremost, I think we've said it, I've said it a lot on sort of Broken But Glorious podcasts, um, especially with the new sort of way pay-per-views are going. I think it's so, so, so important to get off to a great start as a pay-per-view to have a match. And I think there's almost this day and age, there's a lot more pressure on the opening match of a pay-per-view, especially at WrestleMania, than there is for the actual main event itself. Um, but obviously... WrestleMania back in the day, WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 35, the pressure on the opening match always needs to deliver, and I thought it did just that. Um, obviously, as you've said it yourself, Shawn Michaels sort of getting into his new into his new sort of singles run, but I thought the whole booking was done to a T, personally. This is, again, going back and watching it from a, from a first point of view. Um, I would say just very impressed, very happy that the, the younger wrestler in Shawn Michaels won. And, um, and as I say, I think I like the sort of the way it almost added a new dimension to Shawn Michaels' character, the way he won by outsmarting, um, obviously, the rest, a fellow wrestler there. Um, yeah. So, no great opening to the show. And again, seeing that different side of Shawn Michaels and a bit of a bold statement to say this sort of, um, set the tone for the rest of his career, but uh, it, certainly, it certainly didn't. Um, it certainly didn't. Um, obviously, yeah, go miss as well. So no, a, yeah. a great start to the pay per view. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, like I say, I, I love the uh, you know, the trademark Shawn Michaels pose after the match with Sherry laying down at Shawn's feet. That was quite an iconic uh, uh, photo opportunity there. And then on commentary, Bobby Heenan described Michael Michaels as the star of the 90s and he'll be carrying gold representing WWF. And he couldn't have been more right if he tried. So, you no, know, almost uh, but, but like Bobby Heenan had his crystal ball out that day on the commentary desk and he really did, you know, uh, foresee the future there. But, uh, you know, a good open. Uh, went ten and a half minutes, but more than anything, a really good introduction. Knowing what we know now about Shawn Michaels, a really good introduction to kind of uh, like the first steps of Shawn Michaels as a heel, you could say, really, in, in one of his big uh, matches, and, and get, getting his singles WrestleMania career off to a fantastic start against the veteran. So uh, a really good way to kind of kick off the show. And then we had uh, the Legion of Doom. LOD, they came out to the stage for an interview with Mean Gene, with Paul Ellering as well. Paul Ellering making his WWF debut as their manager, and although you know he was their longtime manager as part of the Legion of Doom stable in the NWA and uh, through the Territory days, this this was also LOD's return after a bit of a hiatus following Hawk's suspension from a violation of their drug yeah. policy I understand uh, however before the suspension I think you touched upon this earlier Chris it was meant to be LOD the Legion of Doom versus Money Incorporated for the tag team titles at Mania and uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later on it turned out to be the natural disasters versus Money Inc instead as you explained earlier any thoughts or memories from this promo segment of course you had you know Animal and Hawk they're always good on the microphone uh, always good on the microphone yeah, of course had uh, Paul Ellering as well and he, he's quite a good promo guy uh, so quite a unique set- setting they had a nice stage set up in the middle of the arena so you kind of saw the fans around uh, but uh, any thoughts or memories on what went down during this interview segment here then guys start with you uh, Nick well first and foremost Paul Ellering um, always been a big fan of obviously going back and watching classics with Paul Ellering but even in this day and age I think with um, when obviously it was on NXT with with AOP yeah. uh, a fantastic manager um, didn't actually know what you were just saying there it was very interesting to know that that, that was the case um, as well but um, I think whenever um, I think we'll have to start, this one thing not to go too much into the new era I think more tag teams do need a sort of a, a manager like that. I mean, obviously we get the odd superstar that's got manager like with Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, but I think tag teams these days, it would, we've said on Broken But Glorious many times that the tag team division is not as strong as it should be and, and could be. But I think just doing basics by getting sort of managers in like that, it just goes a long way. But as I say, when I think with um, this promo, it set the tone for the rest of the match later on in the, in the night as well. Um, but overall, just just the very again and again, the classic shout to Mean Gene because there will, there will never be a better backstage interviewer than Mean Gene as well. Has to be said. Mm, good shout, and I totally agree on your point regarding managers as well. They they need to bring back more managers, and I think when they do, it definitely works. But uh, uh, Chris, were you a, a Legion of Doom fan, and, and did I'll, you enjoy I'll, this promo I'll, segment I'll, and, and Mean Gene? I was a massive Legion of Doom fan back in the day. I'm just I'm a massive fan of shouty promos. So please give me Legion of Doom and shouty. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you think uh, Paul Arrowing was a bit heelish in this? I, it was like he came across as a like. Look yeah. at, look at, if I hadn't seen this, I thought I would have thought this was the like a heel turn for Legion of Doom because he was like, "Hi, half returned." Blah blah blah. blah, blah. Yeah, and maybe, maybe. Stern, but was it? Yeah, but oh, I, yeah. 
but um, I, 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 I don't know if you remember, guys, but um, uh, shortly after this and in the build up to SummerSlam 92, they introduced a, a, a ventriloquist dummy called Rocco to well and truly kind of ruin any credibility that the Legion of Doom had. Uh, but uh, but look, we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have uh, Rocco here. But um, but but yeah, so uh, this was a really fun segment of WrestleMania 8, though. But uh, any other fond memories, Chris, on, on what went down here? Well, go, go back to the Rocco. But then um, Hawk quits after SummerSlam because he, he thought that was the most terrible <laughs> angle of all time and just stayed in England to join the... <laughs> Uh, biker gang for a bit. I read just, the same. Just yeah. to America. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but this got yeah, this got me well up for because again they were they were meant to go into SummerSlam for the tag team titles, but then what did they? No, um, they, meant, they were meant to go into that, but they ended up they, they dropped the, the money Inc. dropped the titles to natural disaster a few weeks beforehand. But that's right. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, yeah that's this just right. this just got just got me excited. I, I wish they had just these shouty promos like they did back in the day. They need to be introduced. They have backstage promos yeah. where people can just make mistakes, yeah. do it again, then have to do things live. And, yeah, oh, but um. Speaking of uh, awesome promos, we, we had Jake Roberts backstage, uh, and he's the master. I mean, even when you watch him now on AEW, I mean, Jake Roberts is just—he's teaching everybody, you know, before him how to cut a promo, even at his age nowadays. But yeah. thinking 28 years ago, when and, and back in you know the 80s and the early 90s, Jake Roberts, there was nobody better uh, on the end of a microphone than Jake Roberts. I mean, he cut a really chilling kind of classic Jake Roberts promo here. It's, it's, you know, it's, he, he taught. It's, it's quiet but it's intense at the oh same it's time. menacing it's isn't it to it to while it was everything else, everything yeah. else was so shouty and he just was intense but to the point and you're like oh but uh you know he, he would stare into the camera wouldn't he and you know you'd kind of as a kid i think jake roberts could be just as scary as the undertaker growing up but uh you know he was talking us through the the attack on paul bearer on the uh the funeral parlor from a few weeks earlier that they obviously set up their match but uh, and then we had uh the match between jake the snake roberts versus the undertaker now um i, I don't know if you noticed this um possibly chris i don't know but uh, jake roberts's music seemed a little bit different when he kind of came out during his match here i don't know if they kind of edited it for the network i know there's been a lot of kind of music that's been changed or edited mm. for the wwe network but um uh, and then the undertaker's entrance wrestlemania right i always remember his entrance here you know it, it was brilliant even back then um and it was in a well-lit arena usually we used to see the undertaker come out in a dark arena there's fireworks there's lightning bolts but here it was a, a fairly light arena um completely different to what we would you know come to expect from the undertaker over the next 30 years but um there, there were some more classic lines from bobby heenan during this match uh, you know saying uh, do you know how the undertaker got the urn the old-fashioned way he earned it and, uh, you know, 28 yeah. years ago, that was a funny line, but uh, that did pop me. That did pop me. Um, uh, and just some, you know, interesting facts about this match. The Undertaker had only been with the company for about a year and a half before WrestleMania 8 uh, by this point. And he'd already been WWF champion. 
and was already uh, beginning his babyface run, obviously, uh, before, um, I think, before Jake the Snake's feud with The Undertaker. The Undertaker had been solely um, a heel up until just before WrestleMania 8. So he was kind of fairly fresh into his babyface run here. Uh, Jake even nailed The Undertaker with two DVTs. The Undertaker just sat up both times. Uh, the Undertaker goes after Jake, who tries to grab the urn from Paul Bear on the outside. Uh, Jake, uh, Taker drops Jake with a, with a two tombstone on the outside rolls him back inside the ring pins him one two three uh, so i thought this was really fun match like i say two really you know interesting characters um similar sort of you know dark side characters you could say uh, and the undertaker little did we know then but the undertaker was already well in his way to his legendary wrestlemania streak um two and oh at this point in 1992 because of course he had that uh, wrestlemania win against jimmy snooker in uh, wrestlemania seven so uh, give us your thoughts on this match then gents starting with you chris uh, jake roberts versus the undertaker um did you enjoy it well if so what did you enjoy about it i really enjoyed it it's um i loved about i loved i loved the, the old school zombie undertaker where you're dead slow and walking out and then it was, it was just really fun going back and watching how into the character he was back in 92 how the way he sat up, the way he walked, dead slow, everything was slow, mm. methodical, and yeah, I'm just seeing, seeing Jake in such great shape, and I think this is his last match for a while. He went to WCW after this match, I think. Yeah, I think you're, yeah, I think but, you're right. Then it was around this time when he appeared in yeah. WCW. Yeah, but but yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I think it could have done with another. I, I think they could have put another five minutes onto this match. And, yeah, it was quite Just a short match. Put, uh, it was, I think it was six minutes. Six minutes, yeah, six yeah. minutes, I think it was wrong. I think they, they could have padded it out a little bit, made it a bit more psychological, but I did, I did really enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, and it definitely showed Undertaker as, as very, very dominant, and obviously, you know, he was quite dominant as a heel when they were obviously trying so, so to make him DDT into a, a dominant... Nobody yeah. kicked out of the DET in 92, so to get, get two on them and just sit up, it's just like just put over the Undertaker as this huge force. Yeah, but uh, what about yourself, Nick? Uh, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, no, um, I think as well, much like the um, Shawn Michaels, it was um, booked again very correctly. Uh, obviously, a new dominant character going over a veteran once again. Um, again, obviously, I, I, I personally think from watching from the first time, I think they actually got the time of the match put spot on. I think um, it's, yeah. I think obviously they didn't. You don't want to bury anyone sort of star like like Joe Roberts like in having a, a new heel come in and dominate in like the matter of sort of minutes rather or seconds even. So I think six minutes is is a good enough time. Um, and no, um, as I say, I think obviously still Jake did get a few moves in, but overall. Undertaker was always in that control. You always felt like Undertaker was always in control. In control, and then I thought so. The, the the tombstone. I mean, it got a massive, massive pop from the crowd, didn't it? When the tombstone was hit. So, and um, again, if I was sort of to watch it back in this live, so to speak, back in 1992, I think straight away you'd have gone, "This guy's a star." Whether you'd have predicted to go for another uh, uh, 20, uh, 21 matches unbeaten, uh, or <laughs> yeah. it's not. Nineteen, even sorry, to be precise. Um, I, don't, I don't think you know. It'd be interesting what odds you would have got back in there if you were to make a bet on that. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, very, very good, very good, solid match. But um, more importantly, the booking was uh, absolutely um, spot on, in my opinion. Camera yeah. was really good this match as well. So he kept coming to the crowd, and the kids were all terrified of the Undertaker, even though he was meant to be the face. 
Things you love to see. To be fair, not to be cruel against kids watching wrestling, but it's a bit like what we said last year when when sort of the Fiend debuted. Um, rest in peace, the Fiend, I must say. But um, when he first started, um, when, when the Fiend sort of came out for the first time, there was, or even Bray Wyatt, that when Bray Wyatt came out in that roar in 2013, when you hear the general screams from the kids in the audience, it it goes, it, it just, it really helps the character so so much. And yeah, my my, my, my my four year old's terrified of the Fiend. Yeah, that's what you want. In a way, obviously, we want to go to bed at night still. Yeah, he got a poster in his his WWE magazine, and we always threaten him, we'll put it up in his room if he's not. If he doesn't behave, doesn't wash his hands before dinner and what have you. That's an interesting parenting technique, but uh, there we go. But it's interesting, isn't it? We're not coming on the show to terrorise their kids. <laughs> but um, you know when you when you draw the the kind of similarities and the dynamics between the fiend and the undertaker, you know the similarities are are, are are definitely there, aren't they? The similarities are definitely there in terms of you know the the, the music, the menacing music, the menacing entrance, and and kind of the, the kind of the character that's impervious to pain. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, uh, absolutely loved that. And um, but but then we had one of the matches of the night. Then gents, I mean, first of all, we had a backstage promo segment between Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Brett the Hitman Heart, and that was really funny. Found this funny because I, I find I still find it funny, but I've got nostalgia for it. Do you find it funny, Nico? I will be honest. I flipped from match to match. Uh, I didn't actually see the oh. interview. I must throw oh, my hands up and be a bit honest uh, there. But oh. again, you don't need to answer. Uh, but uh, Rowdy Roddy Pipe, one of my favourite promo. Um, my one of my favourite guys that could cut a promo, even so. So whilst I haven't seen this one. Yeah. Whether he was a heel, whether he was a face, one of the best, if not one of the best, to, to cut promos. Absolutely incredible. We talk about Jake the Snake giving chills. This sort of almost gives you the opposite, where it sort of just motivates you. And if you if you watch Rowdy Roddy Piper cut a promo and you don't think, yeah, I'd love to be a wrestler. I, I, <laughs> I think I think he'd really like this promo because it starts off that he's he's trying to be friendly and buddy with um, Bret Hart, but then he starts taking the piss out of him a little bit, and then. Brett just shuts him down. I want your bells. And yeah, then, then, it gets, and then it gets serious people. pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I would I would recommend you go watch it. It's... Yeah, definitely. Oh, sorry, but... sorry for interrupting. So it's okay. No, uh, but but like I say, it was a, an excellent promo segment. And, and what I was going to say about this, it, it reminds me certainly of, of, you know, going back to promo segments like this in the 90s that were unscripted and so much better than anything you get that's quite you know, repetitive and robotic nowadays. But uh, it was, like I saying, it set the scene perfectly for the match because going into it, it was kind of set out as a babyface versus babyface match. But pretty soon as you go into the match, and I think the promo kind of set the scene, you know, you definitely had Roddy Piper showing more heel tendencies uh, but um, you know going into the match and it was for the Intercontinental Championship as well you know Gorilla Monsoon on commentary brought up that this was the that the Intercontinental title was the only championship that Roddy Piper had won in the WWF to this point uh, to the best of my knowledge Piper went on many years later to win the tag team titles alongside Ric Flair but you're talking a good 20 years later but uh, um, it, you know that was 2006 or seven. Yeah, so a good 14 years the spirits, later then. Spirit Squad, whenever they were about, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, I mean, Roddy Piper, you know, I know that we've had this conversation and debate on many, many podcasts, but Roddy Piper was never a world champion, despite 
being on top wherever he went, whatever company he wrestled in. You know, knowing how good Roddy Piper was as a character and on the microphone, you know, he, he wasn't the most technically gifted wrestler, but when he was in there, it kind of it definitely, everything he did meant something and everything he did was done with a purpose. And we saw in this match here against Bret Hart that, you know, he could turn it on whether he was a face, he could turn it on whether he was a heel. But uh, yeah. do you think that there's a missed opportunity and not having Roddy Piper as a world champion in one company or another somewhere, you know, in the 80s or the 90s? What, what do you say, gents? 100%. Uh, I think he's... He's an absolute edge. I mean, we could be here for a sort of a while talking about wrestlers who 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 shouldn't who should should have been WWE champion or should have been mm-hmm. WCW champion, etc. But Piper, I mean, if anyone's ever to do a top five, if Piper's not in their number one, number two, then then they need their head testing because he's he's absolute brilliant. And so this has come from from someone obviously obviously didn't grow up with Roddy Roddy Piper, but somebody goes back and watches all these classics. You've hit the nail on the head there, so he can do a job as a face, he can do a job as a heel. If someone can do both roles to absolute perfection, then they just they they just they're made to be the top guy in the in the division. Say because it's so difficult to obviously pull off the master of being a both fantastic heel and a fantastic face. But he was great on the mic, excellent in the ring. How he wasn't champion is just quite beyond me. Yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts on Roddy Piper? Go on. Well, it was kind of just the perfect foil to Hulk Hogan, so it is weird that... Cause I, don't, I don't think Hulk Hogan ever pinned him, did he? I think it was, all, it was always disqualification or count-out whenever they had a match, so it was weird that he never won the title from Hogan. And it, would, it would have been interesting having a storyline where it was Hulk Hogan chasing Roddy Piper and, and Piper just always getting away with the title. I thought that could have been a fun... Maybe going yeah. into WrestleMania one if they had that as the main event. Yeah, that, that, that would have been, been better. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. But we did it. We did. It. Me, me and Nick actually met on a forum, and on that I remember on that one of the first polls they did on that forum was who was the greatest um, wrestler ever to win the WWF titles. Oh, I remember that. We yeah, actually tweeted. Yeah. He and we tweet and we tweeted him and he, tweet, he tweeted us back and said thank you for voting me the best. Wrestling never to win the Tulpita title. It's like 2011, 2012. That's pretty cool. That's really yeah. cool. But um, I mean, this, this match in particular, it, you know, it really gets going when uh, Bret Hart throws Piper to the outside. Oh, that's short it was as well. Yeah, so, I mean, in my head, it's it... like a 25-minute epic match. Was it like 12 minutes? Thir- long? Th- no. 13 minutes. 13, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, when Piper come back into the ring, he uh, spat in Bret Hart's face. So that kind of really got, uh, you know, the, the crowd heat and uh, really kind of set out Piper's tendencies to be the heel in the match. Um, you know, something you didn't see too often in the WWF, and we, we spoke about this whole fair, was the amount of blood at WrestleMania 8. And this was the first match to see a bit of colour uh, when uh, Bret busted, got busted open from a, from a punch, or it appeared to be a punch in the face from Roddy Piper. Um, this, in, in my opinion, a- it, it definitely added to the match definitely yeah is it Brett admitted since he bladed even though at the time they told him it was the hard way exactly because he would have got fined if he was admitted to it at the time yeah yeah but, then, but, but uh, then after the next couple of minutes paper just punching him in the eye to make it bleed and bleed and bleed <laughs> it's like, it's um, but... just that, that couple of minutes so 
Yeah, I mean, the storytelling in this match as well was off the charts, to be honest with you. But the match came to an end when uh, Brett reversed a, like a chokehold or a sleeper hold from Roddy by climbing the turnbuckles, pushing backwards off the turnbuckles, and then using all of his weight to pin Roddy Piper to the mat to become the new and I think two-time Intercontinental Champion. Uh, after the match, we saw Piper do the right thing by handing over the bout to Hart, and the two of them uh, finished uh, by hugging in the ring. So uh, that kind of brought Roddy Piper back into the, the, the baby face picture you could say like you say the match went just under 14 minutes 13 minutes 51 seconds um i, I also loved the, the turmoil that went through the mind of roddy piper when he had the ring bell and uh, was that's kind of that's kind of wrestling with his own kind of thoughts as to whether to hit bret hart or not to hit bret hart with the ring bell and like i said the storyline the storytelling in this match was was uh, insane but uh um, starting with you chris uh, give us your thoughts on this one like i say that there's two great matches at WrestleMania 8 and this was definitely the first of those two so uh, um, a bit of a classic uh, tell us your thoughts on this one yes uh, this to, to be honest, I do think this is my favourite match on the match even though Macho Man's my favourite wrestler and him winning later is like a great moment for my childhood but yeah from from the beginning from, that promo set the scene yeah Brett wanted the title and then it was just a brawl then he got busted open then Piper just punched him in the face blood everywhere <laughs> and then there was a, the ref bump and Piper went out and got the bell and it was like oh do I hit him with the bell and Heenan's brilliant at this bit just hit him hit him <laughs> but he thought no I'll, I'll do it properly I'll finish you with my finisher puts him in his sleep hold which yeah. ends up being his foil and Brett gets the win but do you get yeah, brilliant, brilliant match. So, yeah, uh, just, Nick, just... a bit of a question for you, Nick. I know that uh, this was your first time you seeing WrestleMania rates, and uh, like I say, the, the wrestling matches, wrestling in general, has changed a lot over the last thirty years. But this yeah. was a match that kind of it, it's a, a classic wrestling match that probably would have you know been just as much at home in twenty twenty as it was in nineteen ninety two. So. Uh, give us your thoughts on this one and, and kind of, you know, let's say the storytelling was there as well, wasn't it? It wasn't just about the action, it was the storytelling as well, my friend. Oh, of course it was, absolutely. But um, also, again, what Chris said, obviously, it did feel a lot longer than 14 minutes. But the thing that makes it even weirder is I actually felt he had a bit of a slow start to the match as well. But then it seemed to pick up, I don't know what minute it was, but it, it just picked up rapidly, the match. from it was, so it was a very kind of weird sort of start there. It was a bit slow, ever obviously, after the, uh, the, well, the apparent backstage promo there, or for setting the tone for it. Maybe that's what it made, arguably, that's it, 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 what made it a bit weird with the sort of slow starts. But um, but I, the whole um, the whole match was just great from start to finish. Um, again, Brett proving that he really is sort of the best there, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel, as I say, when you sort of have all the just, I think that when when I was saying with wrestling, you need to get the little things right. And now I've said it on Chris is probably bored of me saying about that line every <laughs> pay per view. I will say you need the little things just go so far, and it was. Seeing like Piper with like obviously thinking about cheating and changing his mind because he respects Brett. Just those little things just really get you involved into a wrestling match. The emotion and everything of, of obviously of the of watching on to the match. So um, it, it, I think they got all the little things just to a T. And um, no, absolutely excellent. And um, as I say, I, I, I was just I really like the um, again the, I just really like the post match of. 
of hyper-dependence, title on Brett's shoulder, big fan. That. So it sort of reminds me, if you've got to compare it to this day, it kind of reminds you a bit almost of a sort of a, a Johnny Gargano sort of match with it, be it Adam Cole, be it Tommaso. Yeah. It, it, it kind of has that. If we're going to start comparing from sort of back in 2020 back to 1992, but um, no, fantastic, fantastic wrestling match. You need to underline the word wrestling there. But they did also get, as I say, the little snippets down to a T. And, and yeah, both these guys have basically been heels the whole WWE career until mm. recently. So you can still see they've both got heel tendencies in the storytelling as well, which is brilliant. And that's where their brain was brilliant as well, because he couldn't decide who to support. So he was just supporting whoever was doing the most heelish thing at the time. So it's just like... Yeah. Well, I think yeah. even uh, if you if you go into any sort of debate about, they all say what was what was Piper's best ever match. This if this one this one just always comes up, doesn't it? On any debates yeah. uh, that you ever see, if you ever get involved to about Rowdy Roddy Piper, um, obviously there's a lot of debates when tragically he did pass away a few years ago. There were obviously naturally when when a rest when a superstar does obviously when it does pass then naturally obviously all the debates do come up of oh i wonder what when you when you talk in a positive way of best ever matches this one was just one that was on top of everyone's list that you must almost your networks must watch i'm so happy i've finally got around to watching it and yeah loved every second but more importantly loved the little snippets but just the, just a great wrestling match great story i'm telling and um and they got as i say pretty much everything they could have got right did get right with it yeah, absolutely. And then we had uh, a kind of a backstage thing uh, live via kind of satellite. You had the total package, Lex Luger. <laughs> uh, now, now he wasn't due to be uh, debuting in WWF, but he was due to be debuting in the WBF, the World yes. Bodybuilding Federation. Now, this was another kind of offshoot, another thing that Vince McMahon was trying to get off the ground. Bodybuilding was pretty big back in the early 90s. But uh, well, even, um, even back then, it was pretty niche. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but they were trying to make it more mainstream, weren't they? I mean, they did have kind of a regular TV show. I think they even did their own WBF pay-per-views as well. But uh, and I think Lex Luger was well. I mean, yeah, Lex Luger was even going to be part of the WBF, but I don't think that actually happened in the end. In fact, the the next time I remember seeing Lex Luger was when he was unveiled as the narcissist Lex Luger at the Royal Rumble in 1993. compete to the WWF so by the time it came back round the WWF had folded but he still had a contract with like WWE so that's why he started wrestling yeah. so he didn't, he didn't he went into it not wanting to wrestle he wanted to just do the bodybuilding side of it yeah, but um, so so that didn't materialise. Like you say, he had the, the motorcycle accident, and we saw him back as a narcissist. But uh, then we get a, a fun little match. Uh, I say little, it had uh, a lot of people involved. It had the Mountie, the Nasty Boys, and the Repo Man versus <laughs> Virgil, Haxel, Jim Duggan, Big Boss Man, and Sergeant Slaughter. So, uh, you know, uh, they won't be getting any five-star ratings from Dave Mouser <laughs> any yeah. day of the week. But I, the, the, the I'm thing glad that they I found... grouped them all together and they didn't have them all in separate. Exactly. Just, this, this, so. this was their version of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Rule, just to get <laughs> as many people into one match to get a WrestleMania payday as possible. But uh, I did chuckle with the ring injury introductions uh, from the host of Family Feuds Ray Coombs. I loved how he mocked the Mountie and then he mocked the Repo Man and then as he was mocking the Nasty Boys the Nasty Boys chased him out of the ring. I thought that was quite fun. Uh, I think like I say this match was designed to get as many people into a Wrestlemania match as possible. Uh, the match only went about six and a half minutes with with Virgil of all people getting the pinfall after 
Um, nasty boy sags he clobbered his own partner knobs allowing Virgil to make the cover and get the pinfall uh, so thoughts on this one you know I thought the ring introductions were quite fun it's probably the most entertaining uh, part of the whole match but um, it's more of a kind of a step down memory lane for all the different characters that are involved and I was quite a big repo man fan back in the day but uh, Nick started with yourself let's say having clapped eyes on WrestleMania 8 for the first time this week this must have been quite an interesting uh, little match for you yeah I mean <laughs> Uh, from someone who's been to WrestleMania live, um, you always look for. Well, I wonder what um, I wonder what matches would be great to time for a toilet break, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to diss it too much, but no, I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was very. I thought yeah, it's nice, obviously, when you get your celeb because you forget WrestleMania is all about getting your stars from all over to come in because you're going to obviously attract in a wide audience. So great, they managed to get that, and yeah, the the, the entrances were pretty funny, but um, that was about as good as it got. I thought the match was just boring didn't do anything for me at all getting that i suppose it was the good thing the only good thing i suppose the baby face is one so at least it keeps the crowd happy um i mean when i looked at it when i was sort of going oh yeah cause i was like oh, yeah it'd be quite good slaughter wins or bossman wins or june Duggan wins. and then i was like oh hang on virgil's one what's that what's going on here <laughs> so, um no um, i've, I've heard so, the original plan was they were going to put jim duggan in Sergeant Slaughter in the tag team title match. Ah. And, then, and then all they're going to have them against Money Inc. and then have the LOD of Natural Disasters for the title. But I'm not sure. I think that was what, the, what they said on the um, OSW review. That was what they, they, that's what they thought the flag was going in. But, could have been. Could have been. Um, yeah, a, bigger, a bigger fall from grace for like Sergeant Slaughter headlining being a champion at Ron WrestleMania to going yeah. into a comedy multi-man match the next WrestleMania. Do you know what? I'd love to see a trend of all wrestlers who have gone from wrestling in like, I mean in recent years you can probably already get the trend going Nakamura, WrestleMania 34 WrestleMania 35, I think he's in a tag team title match and it obviously got lost pretty quickly um, I'm pretty sure 33 um or even, uh, yeah, like there, there is a trend that goes on, sort of thing, like wrestlers who made him into Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30, then was in, albeit a very good ladder match for Intercontinental. Like, there is always seems to be a, a trend going where someone's obviously in a great match at WrestleMania, and the next year they've sort of been a, a not very good one, or just a, a sort of a, a skip through match, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see where you're getting at there because, uh, like I say, some people are, are just hot for a, a year or hot mm. because of their, you know, their game. And then not so much afterwards. Uh, but I think uh, you, if you're flavour of the month with Vince McMahon, then you'll get a good push one year, but not the next. But uh, there we go. Yeah. But but let's talk about something more interesting. And I mentioned earlier that WrestleMania 8 was pretty much all about two matches, you could say. And this was the second match that a lot of people yes. were looking forward to. It was a build. It was billed as kind of one half of the double main event for WrestleMania 8. Um, it was, of course, Ric Flair versus the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WWE World title, WWF World title. Uh, before that you had a, a classic backstage promo with uh, rick flair and mr perfect another fantastic flair promo as you would expect and uh, i always thought the combination of rick flair and mr perfect during this time was was uh, dare i say it, the perfect wrestling combination <laughs> um but pun intended but uh, going into the match you know rick flair's entrance you know with, with you know the uh, kind of 
2001 Space Odyssey music playing in the background and the, the 67,000 people. It was a really special entrance. Uh, and of course, he left WCW in late 1991 uh, on a real low after having a bad time there that year. And then here he is in April 1992. The WWF you know, brought back the old Ric Flair, really. He was, he was the WWF world champion and the electricity from the fans drew this match. It told it all, to be honest with you. The fans were on the edge of their seats. Uh, you know, this when you think about it, this match was kind of more of a, a two-on-one match, to be honest with you. You had Savage having to fend off both Flair and Mr. Perfect pretty much throughout the whole match. But the booking of this match, we've spoken about the booking in some of the matches so far. The booking of this match was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we, we saw a bit of blood earlier on in the show with uh, Bret Hart and uh, Roddy Piper, of course. We saw more blood here. Ric Flair got busted open after getting a double axe handle from Savage, causing Flair to go headfirst into the guard railing slash a uh, razor blade. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the fans really into everything that happened in this match. And uh, it was probably Ric Flair's best singles match in his first run with the company, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and then you had Elizabeth. She came down uh, to support her husband, flanked by WWF officials. She came down a bit early. But maybe, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, it kind of worked. It, so it certainly. She, she, I think it would have worked better if she came out whilst he was in the figure four. Yeah, I, I didn't really tweet to be honest with you. It seemed okay to me, but you do make an interesting point, definitely. But um, and of course, you know, Flair was bleeding like a stuffed pig. He was targeting <laughs> uh, Randy Savage's injured knee throughout the match, and of course, there was that uh, figure four. And the, the drama in this match was at fever pitch. And after Savage blocked a punch from Flair, he rolled Flair up with a handful of tights, showing Ric Flair's bare cheeks to the world <laughs> for the one, two, three. So uh, then after the match, everything breaks down with Flair stealing a kiss from Liz. Uh, Savage goes berserk. Flair and Perfect laying the kicks while the officials were holding Randy Savage down. I couldn't understand that, what was going on there. But uh, Savage was uh, the one celebrating when all said and done as the two-time WWF champion. Uh, and in the end, he's standing side by side with Liz. Um, the match went 18 minutes and, uh, like I say, uh, another terrific match. And I was a, a massive Ric Flair fan at the time. Uh, was gutted that he lost, um, but um, a, a hell of a time to be a wrestling fan back in 1992. Now, uh, Nick, let's start with you. I mean, we spoke earlier about um, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper being a match that, that would that would fit quite nicely in with the modern era. Uh, this match, again, storytelling, a little bit of blood, some great action, some great booking. Um, give us your thoughts on what went down here. There was lots going on, lots to unpick, but how did you interpret this match? Oh, I absolutely loved it from start to finish, just fantastic. If, um, again, just to kind of reiterate what you're saying there, there was so much going on in the match that you, you love it. And it was great. There was a lot going on, but it wasn't over the top. Like you sometimes see in matches where there's so much shenanigans. You're like, oh, for God's sake, what you're wrecking a perfectly good match and some of it's not really needed. They got, again, everything they got to this was done to an absolute tee. I loved every second. I think 18 minutes as well, perfect amount of time. You, you worry if it went on for like even sometimes you get WrestleMania matches, they go on for like almost half an hour sort of thing. And I think 18 minutes was absolutely perfect for this. And then you've only got to look at the, the reaction when Savage won was just incredible. We talk about, uh, I, I sometimes compare sort of when, when superstars win, it's almost football atmosphere when, when teams score. I think that that ever happens, like the one that always springs to mind is sort of CM Punk uh, when he won the title yeah. at Money in the Bank in his hometown. This was just incredible and the atmosphere when Savage won. It was just general emotion from people losing their minds, cheering, which is just what you want to see. But um, 
but for the match itself, um, just so the emotion displayed by by both men was was just incredible. Um, so some of it brutal at times as well was sort of as you, as you mentioned blood. You, uh, you're from taking what you guys are saying. There wasn't an awful lot of blood back in 1992 or even now. There was, there was a there was a no blood policy in 92. Oh, was there? Oh, okay. So pretty much similar to. Yeah, so now, they, so now they, they, they both they both got heavily fined for this match apparently. Yeah, I think obviously when you see blood now, naturally like, oh dear, science gone wrong sort of thing. But mm. when they if they are using it to add to the match, it, it really does help because even when it's accidental, you're like, yeah, this guy looks like a badass. This is this is really added to like a little bit. Even if it's just if it's like a jobber's getting beaten up and they start bleeding, it still adds a lot. So no, to add it to this match was was fantastic. It was brutal, and. Um, but I think that again they got everything down to a T with with Randy Savage, more importantly winning the match, um, him holding high, and um, and just to see a flare even when it went into sort of I know we'll get into it in the second where he went went backstage after Flair just so pissed off about losing it was just absolutely it just had so much and you almost feel you almost get into this sort of the oh this is he's he's legitimately angry there and it, um. It just goes such a long way, but um, and again, we're going back to what we said at the start of the show. Commentary for this on another level, superb, really helps, and um, again, putting both men over. But it absolutely adds to a fantastic moment. I know me and Chris are going to be putting together this best card. I think it would be difficult to find a better WWE, uh, WWE, WWF world title main event because this was just incredible. Yeah, this was going to be my nomination for that show. Two of the best of all time. <laughs> Two of the best of all time. Absolute gems in the ring. Um, so I'm so gutted that I didn't get to obviously experience more. Well, I will now that obviously we're in unpresent. Obviously, whether we've got loads of time on our hands, there'll be a lot to go back and watch Randy Savage matches because I absolutely love this. Yeah, Chris. Oh, yeah, oh, as I said, Matthew was my favourite wrestler growing up. He was the whole point of me. I think he's the reason I like wrestling. <laughs> so, um, oh, the storyline going into this was brilliant because Ric Flair was saying that he he was with Liz before Savage got with her, and he had all these doctored photos, <laughs> and he was gonna when he won, he had this centerfold he was gonna release to everyone to see, which he never got to see. But yeah, and from the beginning, it was just Matthew. I was so angry, just battering him. And then they get the leg injury, which he sold like a boss the whole match. Yeah, yeah. And then for him to win with a <laughs> pulling a handful of tights, and I'm just, I'm so surprised he haven't pixelated that on the network. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was so happy. I was quite disappointed with his reign after that because it didn't last very long. He lost a battle to Ric Flair the fatal long after this, but uh, but it was such a great moment for my childhood. I still love it. And, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I've got a question for you both. I mean, did you think Vince McMahon looked? I mean, this could, could be a question I should ask at the very end of the, the podcast, really. But do you think he looks back on this WrestleMania with fondness, or despite the fact he was probably, you know, <laughs> spitting feathers or really, really angry backstage at the amount of blood in, in those two matches in particular? But do you think he kind of looks back at this WrestleMania as, as, a, as a classic and looks back on it with fondness, or do you think he's, he's always a, kind of a, a little bit of a sore subject when it comes to this with, with Vince McMahon? Well, how do you think he kind of looks back on this one? Well, when you, I mean, there's there's so many WrestleManias he could go back on and go, 
But well, that was that could have done that completely better. I mean, not already at the top of my head, I've already got five WrestleManias flying through my head of, well, that was rubbish, <laughs> that was rubbish. They should have ended the show much better than that. They completely cocked that up, sort of thing. Uh, yeah. But from this one, I mean, I loved every, I loved this WrestleMania from just watching it last night. So, um, I personally wouldn't, I mean, again, Vince obviously will have a complete different, well, he's clearly got a different mindset to a lot of people of how, to, <laughs> True. Uh, how his booking goes. But for me, I, I, there's not an awful lot of change throughout this, especially to the show so far. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I, think, I think he will, he will go forward. He thought, he thought he did a really good job. He's look at the first three matches. He's got these old 80s guys putting over the future. He's got, got, yeah, Tito, Jake and... Um, Roddy Piper, all 80s legends, putting over the new gen, the new gen legends. Yeah, and then, yeah, and it's great, a great, because only Macho Man's second reign, so it was a great moment. It's what the fans had wanted for ages because he retired the year before. Yeah, he, absolutely. He, he, he wanted to have kids with Liz, and he wanted to get off the roids and just stop, get off the road and start having children. But then he got asked to come back just for this last run. So to, yeah. to have him back but yeah yeah definitely I, I, think, I think going forward i think he must have thought this is a success i don't know how financial success it was but it was it's a great storylines going into most of these matches so. yeah most definitely Coming out uh, couple, so. and then we had uh, another match we had tatonka versus the model rick martell no i mean tatonka picked up the win <laughs> after four and a half minutes but uh a uh, bit of an uneventful match. I mean, the only, <laughs> my only thoughts here was was that it was kind of Tatonka's first WrestleMania match. He was fairly new on the scene. Another, like you say, 80s legend putting over uh, a fairly new blood wrestler. Um, and that, that definitely... Yeah, absolutely. So that that worked. But uh, and then we had a match for the tag team titles. It was Money Incorporated versus the Natural Disasters. This match, once again, quite forgettable. And it ended in a in a count out with uh, uh, DBOC, IRS, uh, Jimmy Hart kind of um, leaving the ring, leaving the match, essentially. And uh, who would have thought a WrestleMania match would have ended in a count out, especially with a title on the line? But um, this was against uh, obviously Earthquake and typhoon uh, any thoughts on this one gentlemen and you know you had you know some very very good capable wrestlers in terms of irs and ted dibiase i did quite like the natural disasters when i was 16 years old i thought you know they worked quite well as a team two big strong menacing individuals um but uh, any, any thoughts on this tag title match and uh, especially the way it ended as well in a bit of a, a counter i think if you were live in the arena uh, watching this uh, in 1992 you'd have been pretty disappointed uh, with a count out finish i reckon on the night you'll be really disappointed at this but looking back of it that's what they did. They walked out on their title matches, and then eventually they got told. Was it WrestleMania? Yeah, I don't know if they. Yeah, they built WrestleMania Nine. They got told you have to get back to the ring or you lose the titles. So that's that. They they based the whole title reign around. They just walked out on their uh, matches. That's part of their gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would have been disappointing at the time. I think. I think they they recently changed, became baby faces, natural disasters. So it would have been a good storyline for them to win the titles yeah any thoughts on this one nick well i've been very positive so far but i'm going to be really really sort of hate <laughs> this match. absolutely hated both these matches especially for the punk match i was like right okay well i'm struggling to find out anything to say about this song i, I, look couldn't, I couldn't think of anything yeah. for this i can't i well, can't tell you one thing that happened <laughs> in the, the match 
first of all, I was trying to look up sites, and I think I was trying to look up. I was like, okay, well, there might be some good reviews about it. Maybe someone who's ridiculously positive about something to say. First thing I see was boring match with no heat. Crowd didn't yeah. care. Neither did I. We'll never watch again. So that's, <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. But uh, and then for the tag match again, um, worst match of the night. If I'm going to be honest, really, really painful to watch. Even at times, it just didn't do anything for me at all. Okay, and. The great work, and, and, and Tugboat isn't great, but they're both capable. Well, it upsets capable me because you know how much I love my tag team All as well. four of them are capable wrestlers. Yeah. And they, they had a ma- match in costumes, which you like as well. Just, yeah. All I want is a tag team I love. Uh, why, why is it so difficult to book back, to book tag team matches? Even We're going back, what, to 1992 and they still can't do it then. <laughs> what's the clock on why is it difficult to book a tag team match you should be <laughs> it's just you know, I really well, I could be over here ranting for a while now but uh, book yeah, a, a tag team wrestling I love it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and, and then of course um, Typhoon otherwise known as Tugboo he, he, he shortly uh, soon after this went off to WCW and became the Shockmaster and we all know, <laughs> know that he's uh, now a legendary internet meme uh, yeah. from what happened that night but uh, the, the, the second to last match and I almost forgot this match actually happened but uh, it was the Rocket, the Rocket Owen Hart versus Skinner now it only went a minute and a half now I, I, I don't know what happened I completely forgot but I when I was watching this match I was going into it thinking that Skinner won but then I was pleasantly reminded that Owen Hart picked up the victory and, and Skinner was a fairly new character on the scene so you would think being a new character they're the one that they're trying to get over and push but no the Rocket Owen Hart picked up the victory on Skinner after uh, just a minute and a half so um well, he yeah, got batters but, for a minute and a half then did a roller yeah. It, wasn't even, it wasn't even like he tried <laughs> no exactly but it, it was just nice to see Owen Hart uh, have a Wrestlemania uh, a match and uh, and a win but uh, any thoughts on this match gentlemen obviously Skinner you know he, he spat the tobacco in Owen Hart's face and like I say he did have the majority of the, the, the offence for you know the, the, for, for as long as the match went and then yeah just a roll up victory for Owen Hart and uh, and then yeah that, that's match done basically but any thoughts on this one I would have preferred well, if they put a five minute a five minute bulldog berserker match would have been better here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I would. I would I have think, I think it's, it's way it, it could have been better because Skinner Skinner's a good wrestler, and so is Owen. So have a, it was a bit of a waste having only having a ninety second match. But yeah, yeah, and it wasn't like as if you know they were short on time. We read that the show in total only went just over two and a half hours, and yeah. the longest match was 18, 18 minutes. So uh, I can't understand why they didn't give them a few minutes longer, or you know, give them a five minute match and let them really show what they could do. But um, was uh, was Owen in high energy at this point? Or was he still part of the new foundation? Because they could have fit another quick tag team match in here. I can't mm. remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, possibly high energy, because I know that uh, did the new foundation have a match at the Rumble that year, but then yes. soon after, oh, it was tagging with Coco yeah. Beware. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but so this must have been the transition between the two tag teams. But uh, good victory for Owen Hart. And like I said, I'd actually forgotten that he did win this match. I thought it was the other way around going into it, but uh, was pleasantly reminded the other way around. But uh, and then let's talk about our main event then, gents. So this was uh, interesting for, for many, many reasons. Uh, no title on the line. It was Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice, the, the second half to the, the double main event for WrestleMania 8. And now, um, you, you know, looking back, um, you know, 
I wish it had been Randy Savage versus Ric Flair in the main event spot at the very end match. Obviously, it had the drama, had the title change. Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) But, um, you know, Vince McMahon's mindset, certainly in the 90s, was all about the big guys. You obviously had Hulk Hogan. You know, six foot seven, three hundred pounds. Sid, six foot nine, three hundred and ten pounds. Um, and I'm sure it was you know Vince's wet dream to have two big muscular guys in the main event of WrestleMania. Uh, but um, you know, I, I, I love the fact that the fight started. I don't think the match had officially started, but the fight started between these two while Hogan's music was still playing. I think the music yeah. was playing for a good few minutes while the, the individuals were kind of fighting uh, kind of around the ring uh, and the fans were whipped into a frenzy as Hogan ripped off his shirt after nailing Sid with a few punches to the head. Now, despite the huge pop for Hogan, uh, this was about the time when the fans were starting to turn against Hogan. It certainly was apparent in the 92 Royal Rumble where there was a lot of booze for Hogan. Uh, with a uh, you know big big Sid, you know he, he was he was just as popular with the males, kind of the 18 to 40 age bracket around this time, um, you know, and uh, you know I, I was quite pleased to see Sid. Um, I was a fan of his in WCW, but pleased to see him in WWF. And uh, he, he, he's a great promo, but I thought he's an excellent heel as well. But uh, any thoughts on on th- these two individuals before we talk about the match itself? But uh, any kind of thoughts about th- these two individuals and uh, it main event in WrestleMania? I um I thought it was actually a pretty so pretty poor match I think given I think to be fair to Hogan, to Hogan and um, Sid it was quite difficult given that how fantastic we've already mentioned two of the matches uh, were and we're talking absolutely fantastic so to, yeah. to follow them was always going to be difficult so I will give them that that being said yeah for a main event you just never expect it to be great don't you and uh it just wasn't that i'm afraid um i thought since offense wasn't great throughout um uh again i thought some of the stuff could have been just a lot a little a lot better like um sort of the whole and the whole cup sequence just not great i say i don't think hogan took almost like near enough punishment as well and yeah. just overall i thought just it just wasn't a great watch, to be honest. No, uh, I mean, I, so. I, I must say, I, I quite like the fact that Sid had quite a bit of the offense, you know. And I, I, I was quite a big fan of his power moves. Certainly, when he did the choke slam with the power bomb, I thought they were quite effective. And I think you didn't see. Um, you know, much in the way of choke slams and power bombs back then. I mean, that was fairly kind of quite a, a new move, really. And I think these big, this kind of new age of big men coming onto the scene, doing that sort of thing back in the early 90s. It's kind of a bit uh, strange in the build up. They had them against a lot of, like, in, in a lot of job matches where yeah. you can battle them. But when you get into the main events where you can't do all these moves to this 300 pound man, it's a bit, it kind of defeats the object of having these chopper matches. So if they let, if, like Hogan's all let him power bomb him and choke slam him, if he's got this movie movie coming on, so yeah, absolutely. Maybe in the build up, they could have had maybe not in as many chopper matches, but make him have convincing victories against upper mid card faces rather than have them just battering jobbers. Would have, yeah, would have, would have made. But, um, you know, in this one, you know, Sid did powerbomb Hulk Hogan um, and Hogan uh, kicked out um, and Hogan then came back with two big boots and the leg drop of doom, which Sid kicked out of. Now, there's a a couple of major kind of... talking points coming out of this match in particular the mm-hmm. first surrounding the kick out now you know at the end of the match came after the kick out when Harvey Whippen, 
up with Harvey Whippleman, came into the ring. Hogan picked up Whippleman and then threw him into the arms of Justice. The, the, the referee then called for the bell. Uh, and then we saw Papa Shango come down the aisle in a rather confused state to attack Hogan. The referee announced the match was a disqualification win to Hogan because, um, w- because Whippleman <laughs> came into the ring and did absolutely nothing uh, to get disqualified. And it was Hogan that picked him up. Um, but um, yeah, And then in a rather bizarre conclusion, you had the Ultimate Warrior come out. And he's come back to the WWF uh, that night uh, to clothesline Papashango over the top rope to help chase away Justice and Whippleman uh, with the show going off the air with Hogan and Warrior posing to the fans. So I've, I've, we've, we've got a listener question uh, that will hopefully kind of uh, allow us to kind of answer uh, what went on there. Because Ashley Clements yes. from our Facebook group, he, he asks, who was at fault for the botched ending of the main event and which match should have been the main event? So I think we already discussed that the WWF title should really have gone on last. But who was at fault for the botched ending? So obviously... Was in charge of telling Papa Shango when to go out. Well, this is it now, because my understanding was that Papa Shango should have been there to interfere with uh, the, the the pinfall attempt following the power bomb. Yes. Um, and that uh, no, the, the leg drop, I think. So I think yeah, Shango should have should have come out yeah, and interfered with uh, the pinfall uh, uh, leg drop. once to kick out. The, yes. The leg drop. So yes. Shango's got to come and break that pinfall. So they had to kind of act quickly there and Sid was told to kick out, although he wasn't meant to, um, had Papashenko been there on time. So uh, w- 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 kind of looking back on this kind of 28 years later, Chris, it's, it's kind of a bit of a cringy moment, isn't it, really? We kind of want to watch behind your fingers. Uh, but uh, we, we've heard on you know podcasts and, and various things about how this was meant to have gone down. Um, but, uh, I mean, are, are you basically saying that uh, Shango was, was given the call too late or that uh, Shango was probably you know taking an impromptu toilet break what, what actually <laughs> happened here in, in your in your in your opinion I'm, I'm assuming he was standing at the curtain waiting for his to be told to go out now that's, that's all I can think of but he wasn't told or yeah or he wasn't at the spot when he was meant to be but, but oh they could have had to whip him in actually break up the pin and then it would have been a disqualification yeah. But just getting into the ring isn't a disqualification. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you actually do something. Yeah. Very, or, very bizarre. Or could I just, I suppose just get removed and go back to the, to the room, to the locker room. Yeah, I, 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 I can only put it down to whoever was in Gorilla, who was in charge of making sure Papa Shango was at the curtain and tell him to bomb it to the ring rather than just slowly sl- wander to the ring like he was. Yeah. So, so Nick, you know, this was your first time watching WrestleMania. You must have heard about all the controversy oh, surrounding uh, yeah. surrounding WrestleMania eight main events and what happened here with with Hogan, Warrior, Shango, Whippleman, Sid. So, when you were watching it for the first time this week, yeah, you know, could you could you quite believe what was going on and, and kind of what was going through your mind as it was happening? Well, as you say, uh, I have heard a lot about the, the WrestleMania rate and who was at fault and who wasn't at fault. <laughs> but yeah, watching it then, I think even even you sort of mentioned there, even watching it the first time, you're like, oh God, this is 
quite cringeworthy to watch the whole thing, you know, uh, especially with all the people that were there and everything. You just sort of, it makes you just laugh and then it makes you almost, I suppose back in the day, they didn't have obviously all of the social media and what have you. Imagine if it happened sort of now, it would just be almost a, it would, it would be a gif and a meme for life really, wouldn't it? Yeah. It probably still is now, but at this day and age, it would just, there'll be no escaping it. But after doing thorough research on it, even after this, so it does scream like it was Papa Shango's. They could have, they could have had um, Papa Shango under the ring, I could have been better, because the length of that entrance way. It's probably what they do now, it's probably why everyone's always under the ring now when they need to come out, sort of thing. Cause, uh, well, come, come through the crowd, because that let the length of that walkway everybody would have seen him like 10 minutes before he would have got to the ring anyway <laughs> so it would have well, been a surprise it would always make sense to me as well that if to, to you'd always it's always best to even come out slightly earlier rather than too late so even if you just time them to come out 30 seconds earlier at least then you're covering all sort of bases really like if you have to skip off like a minute like a 10 seconds of a match it doesn't really matter um or like you just delay your sort of run down to the ring etc but yeah um strange but yeah as you say even you'd see you guys watching it 20 years on but even for myself watching it they could have had papa shango just as one of them indians in the attack <laughs> match and he could have just <laughs> quickly went up to the ring <laughs> and then he would have um, had a little monitor to watch it and then you just yeah. get out of the right time and then, of course, you had uh, the return of the Ultimate Warrior. Now, even back in 1992, there was so many rumours and speculation that it wasn't the real Ultimate I, I, Warrior. I, but, it was Kerry Von Eric. Yeah, you know, he, he didn't look half as half as big, half as muscular as he did uh, the previous year at WrestleMania 7 or WrestleMania 6. Uh, different different hair. He just looked like a different person and looked a lot smaller. Um, so even when I saw... WrestleMania 8, 1992, it didn't look like the same Ultimate Warrior we're all familiar with. But uh, yeah, we so to, uh, we uh, quite, quite a steroids, didn't he? And well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it, it made the main event of WrestleMania 8 even kind of more memorable, possibly for all the wrong reasons. But we're still talking about uh, you know what happens during that that main event as, match as 28 years later. I loved the Ultimate Warrior returning. I thought it was yeah. going to be amazing. <laughs> but uh, it was definitely unique, definitely unique. But uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, gents, uh, I asked you both, you know, what were your feelings, uh, you know, when you were watching WrestleMania 8 back this week? Uh, but having seen it back and discussed it here on the podcast, what, what were your kind of your takeaway overriding memories or the highlights of WrestleMania 8 having watched it back this week? So starting with you, Chris, uh, what's kind of your, your kind of takeaway moments or your overriding memories uh, having seen it back um, oh, yeah, 28 years after the event itself? I say I think it was a very good event for putting over the next generations, as I said, putting over Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Tatanka, or put, get the 80s guys did a great job putting them, the next generation superstars over. Um, yeah, Macho Man fit, my favorite wrestler of all time, winning the world title was brilliant and a great match. And then, uh, yeah, Piper versus Bret, still an all-time classic. And yeah, I still love it, even though it has that terrible... It's, it is a show of two halves. If you just had uh, the first match up to the, uh, the world title match, Mm. Uh, or even if we had that eight-man tag in the middle, it's there, it does its job. But yeah, I get, it is a bit poor after the world title match. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's, 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 I still love it. I still watch it at least once or twice a year. 
<laughs> just for nostalgia. Yeah, same here. Uh, Nick, uh, what, what about yourself? Having seen it for the first time this week, what's kind of your, your takeaway memories and your overall final thoughts about WrestleMania 8? Yeah, well, one is a generic thought for just wrestling as a whole of when return, how great are returns when they're not sort of announced all over the well, when they're not pre-announced for starters, but yeah. when they're not like heavily rumoured. I mean, that was just class that pop for me, like watching it for the first time. I mean, um, I, mean, I don't know about obviously when you guys were younger. I can't imagine there was too many sort of how you. I don't know how you guys really found out about your rumours sort of thing. Or oh, wonder this guy's going to be coming back or bloody bloody blah. No, obviously yeah. you might just get. But so that's first of all, that was one of my main takeaways as to how great the Warrior Return was and just how good it is when stuff's not pre-announced, it's not, rumours not flying around all over the internet, so um, love that Randy Savage, again just, uh, Randy Savage and Bret Hart, how great these two were is just, and that's, that's not and even while Ric Flair and Roddy Body Piper you can put in there, those two matches were just absolutely incredible um, for, um, again, it's just it, it makes me just sort of say about title matches at WrestleMania. They are the the I know I'm kind of con- contradicting myself in a way here that they should have. I mean, the WWE title should have always main event. They should always main event WrestleMania. But just the emotion from both superstars, the crowd getting into it, you just want it to go. You want it to be like that these days, where just that is just what even if it's an IC title match, just the passion of trying it's, to win it's, a, a title. It would have been a better story if they had the world title match on last and then the Ultimate Warrior came out and helped Savage because Savage, yeah. the Ultimate Warrior retired Savage the year before. Yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, the Ultimate Warrior and, and Savage and um, faced each other at the next pay-per-view SummerSlam at Wembley, didn't they? So yeah. that would have that would have built up towards that, you know, the, 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 the um, next uh, title well, match. Kevin didn't look happy that he had to share the end of the show with warrior <laughs> so, sure he wasn't so. no no but uh, uh there we go gents we, we've covered wrestlemania 8 uh, and this kind of like retro review on wrestlemania uh, wrestling with Jonas. but uh, I, I just want to thank you both so much for being special guests on this uh, episode of wrestling with Jonas. uh but before we let you go uh this is an opportunity for you to to kind of throw out any plugs any any social media handles uh where my listeners can reach out and say hi learn more about the broken book glory podcast and uh yeah tell us a bit about where we can find your content and where we can uh, get hold of you too and your podcast on social media so you can find me i'm chris lappin bbg on twitter uh, nick is nick underscore davy hello and <laughs> um, you find our podcast is bbg bbgw pod on twitter um, our main network hub is BBG Wrestling on Twitter. Our website is bbgwrestling.com. Um, you can find us on all um, yeah, your podcasts. Um, what's it called? Platforms. <laughs> so, yeah, you can find us. Yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud. Um, we haven't we haven't made it to YouTube or anything yet. We're just purely an audio podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. I say, a couple of weeks I've got interviews with um, Royce, Royce Isaacs from NWA. I'm interviewing him tonight. Um, interview with Shreddy Breck, the brilliant Shreddy Breck. He's a brilliant British wrestler. Yeah. He's funny, a funny, really funny guy. It's just, 
typical Geordie. It's meant to be a half hour interview. It's fifty odd minutes because he just yeah he's so funny. And then yeah next week and MLW's Richard Richard Holiday. Oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him because he's currently in a stable with MJF, um, part of the dynasty. It should be a really fun interview. And yeah, um, oh, go back and check check out our back catalogue of interviews as well because we've got. Brian Cage, got Michael Elgin, Eli Drake, Jordan Grace, Nathan Cruz. Oh God, there's loads of people. Um, You're just showing so, off now. You're just showing off now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, well, I'll literally interview anyone. I've got, I, I interviewed a, a guy called Charlie recently. He said he had three matches. But it was one of the most fun interviews I've done in ages. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll literally interview get world champions, guys who are just starting out podcasters, referees. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm just really interested in why people wrestle. That's the most thing I'm mainly interested in. Is why they wrestle. So, so that's, yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Nick. We'll make sure that uh, all of your uh, Twitter addresses and handles are uh, added to the uh, description of this podcast episode so that my uh, listeners can just click into the description of this week's episode and uh, click on the, the, the various handles and say hi to Chris and Nick and tune into the Broken McGlorious Wrestling Podcast. So, uh, thank you to Chris. Thank you to Nick once again. So please keep it tuned to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast. And uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends and tell your family. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on a single episode of the Wrestling with Jonas podcast. Uh, Once again, thank you to the guys from Broken But Glorious uh, Wrestling Podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. Take care. Have a great weekend. And we'll catch up with you all again soon.